Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. podcast flagship show of the bitcoin podcast network episode 249 i'm your first host marcello and i'm host number two d i'm host number three dr Corey petty today we have a guest joining us for the roundtable slash community calls brian crane the og podcaster of epicenter mm-hmm. and progenitor friend of cosmos how, do, how are you involved in cosmos can you explain that yeah, well, thanks so much, first of all, for having me here. It's a pleasure. Uh, I love you guys' format. It's so, like, relaxed and fun. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've been sort of in some way associated or, like, working on Cosmos for quite a long time. In 2015, I joined this company called – it was called Aeros Industries back then and later renamed to Monax. And they were the first company to try to build enterprise Ethereum applications. So they started working on this in 2014 and, and like before Ethereum had launched and they took Ethereum and they forked it and they said, okay, let's make this useful for banks and like insurance companies and just general enterprise. And um, in the process, you know, one thing they did is they implemented their own EVM version and then they also wanted to replace proof of work and they found uh, this thing called Tendermint, which was like super mature thing. So they became the first user of Tenement in 2014, um, or maybe 2015, sort of beginning of 2015. And then I joined uh, Monax and I worked there. And I worked there also with this guy, Ethan Buckman. And Ethan later, he was the first hire, the first developer that Monax had hired. And then he left and he became the CTO of, uh, of the Tenement team, you know, that is the main team building Cosmos. And then I later left as well and also joined that team and I worked on the, you know, worked helping with the tokens, the fundraiser and building out the company and I worked there for around a year. Uh, and then I left and I started my own company, which is also still mostly working on Cosmos. Mm-hmm. So in some, some tendential way, it's basically been almost four years that I've been um, involved with Tenement and Cosmos. To, well, the Cosmos didn't exist, but at least Tenement. Uh, Corey, didn't you almost work for Cosmos too? Yeah, I did. Was that can that be on Front Street? Did yeah, I sure? I, I went Street? through the interview process and um, went, ended up going with uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, I think. One of the one of the government entities that I yeah, worked some for sort a while. of dark lab thing. Yeah, yeah I, I worked for Dark Labs, which was like a, a pretty sweet place to work, but ended up not being long term. Didn't you work for someone right before Booz? I thought. When they're like a little hot stop. Uh, they weren't little, but they weren't well known Novetta. either. It's a company called Novetta, which I did yeah, a lot anyway, of yeah. uh, cryptocurrency education so that people who go into cleared spaces don't sound like assholes when they try to talk about cryptocurrency. 
Novetta sounds like a, a brand of nasty fig cookies. Like, I don't know. That's just, when I hear Novetta, I think they probably make fig Newtons, but they make them disgusting. They're like painkillers, no. Yeah. <laughs> the pain, the last painkiller you ever take is a Novetta. Sounds like track six on a Michael Bolton album. <laughs> you and Corey, all, you, you guys like would have been mistaken for brothers. You guys look very similar. I think that's so the whole white people, people look alike uh, thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I'm, I did not mean it that way at all. I'm sorry. It's fine. <laughs> I just... I'm, for those of you that yeah. don't see us and never join live when you totally have the opportunity to, uh, Brian and Corey look like brothers. So I'll that's just that. truth. That's both the truth. white, both have hair. And yes, uh, both have, eyes, have light hair, hair. Light hair, <laughs> light skin. <laughs> eyes and a nose. And no, I'm kidding. Um, so from what I, I've never, I'm not intimate with the Cosmos project. I've heard about it. Um, and they're, they're they're trying to play on interoperability. Am I right or wrong about that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not so easy to wrap your head around because there's a bunch of different components with Cosmos and a bunch of different important things. Uh, one thing is this thing called Tenement. So Tenement is basically just a very, I would say it's the most advanced kind of proof of stake algorithm. So let's say you have a bunch of different nodes and they want to come to agreement about you know what happens in the chain basically produce new blocks and then have also tokens that you can kind of bond as a security deposit uh then you know tenement is uh, and especially the cosmos proof of stake is now the most you know advanced and uh, i would say the best of these algorithms of course many other people are working on that too but they're mostly further away uh so that's one thing right so it's just, it's a way to have a, a blockchain that's more uh, performant. You know, it's like works much faster, that has better throughput and also very high security in terms that uh, validators, basically the kind of miners of Cosmos, they put up bonds, kind of a collateral. And so if they misbehave, that gets taken away. So from a game threader perspective, it's very secure because misbehaving is so expensive. So that's kind of one thing. And there are various projects that are using just that base layer to build blockchains. Uh, you know, the best one, best known of those would be Binance, right? So Binance building their decentralized exchange using this Cosmos SDK. And this Cosmos SDK is basically tenement, so this consensus if it's staking. And then there's almost sort of like an API between the consensus and then the application you build on top. So you have this consensus that orders transactions almost like an API, and then you can have your application on top. In the Binance case, the application is going to be decentralized exchange. I think it could be something different too. Just to make to make it clear, I think that's a great, I don't know, we can keep going on Cosmos, but this is a question that a lot of people have because they say Binance is building on Cosmos. Um, is it is that necessarily true or are they just using the tool set that Cosmos and Tendermint created to build something completely separate? Is it is it linked in to the network that Cosmos is creating or is it just uh, like yeah. the infrastructure? Yeah, great question. So exactly. So so there is basically this, first of all, this Tendermint, this consensus algorithm. And then there's this Cosmos SDK, which is almost a little bit like a Ruby on Rails for building blockchains, right? And then the idea is you can build different components with it, and it's kind of like a framework. Um, and so Binance is using that. So Binance is using Tendermint, and they're using the Cosmos SDK to build their own decks. Now, 
you know, is it part of Cosmos? That's like a good question because it's not so totally clear cloth what that exactly means. Um, the, I mean, the Binance Tech is going to launch. It's going to have the sta a staking token, the Binance token, right? And then the validators who are going to run the Binance chain, I mean, at least at this point in the testnets, it's basically like Binance community or something like that. So it's it's separate validator set, separate staking token, uh, you know, separate blockchain. They're going to have their own governance, etc. Um, so, but, but it uses key components of Cosmos and built by Cosmos. And then the other thing is, and I guess that's where what comes in is what just happened a few days ago, which was the launch of the Cosmos Hub. Because the idea of Cosmos is not just, so the idea is that you're going to have these different chains, you know, Binance Tech being one of them and there being many, many others. Um, but if you have so, a lot of chains, how can you, how can they interoperate? Because mm -hmm. uh, the great benefit in Ethereum is, okay, it doesn't scale well, has lots of issues, but at least you have all of these smart contract applications. They're on the same chain. And so if somebody wants to build something on Maker and some sort of, I don't know, insurance product or, or it wants to build derivatives and use DAI, it's all very easy because it's all in the same chain. But if you have lots of different blockchains, how does that work? So that's also, and of course, the Cosmos premise is that we are going to have lots and lots of different blockchains and that, you know, there's not going to be a sort of winner-take-all massive chain that accommodates mm -hmm. uh, most things. And, and then the question is, okay, how do they speak with each other? And then what the Cosmos team is also working on is this thing called the Inter-Blockchain Communication Protocol. So it's basically kind of like a messaging protocol for how blockchains can yeah, speak with each other. And the idea of the Cosmos Hub, which is what launched a few days ago, is that that is going to be kind of like a routing blockchain. So the Cosmos Hub can connect with many different blockchains, and they can then talk with each other by sending messages through the Cosmos Hub. So Binance has announced that they are going to connect with the Cosmos Hub. So Binance would also be one of those chains uh, where you could basically speak with the Binance Dex and send tokens to the Binance Dex while, uh, by going through the Cosmos Hub and, and the other way around. Mm. It just seems like such a tough problem. Like if you've got all these, I saw recently that um, on Etherscan, they have like, you could check the state of certain blockchains now. So that was kind of neat. There was a little tab they added that said, check the state. And so I'm thinking if states are changing, you know, I don't know, thousands of times a second, could be possible, right? If somebody built their blockchain like that, how are you going to be able to sync up one chain state that happened? I mean, to keep it real general, say something takes, at, takes place at like 1 p.m., the state changes. Well, then a blockchain B has a state change that affects that state change at 1 p.m., but they have it later in the day. Like, it just seems like it's such a complex issue. Yeah. I don't I don't yeah. know how that's going to be resolved. I mean, maybe I, I'm, I don't know. It just seems I, I can, tr yeah, sure. That's a, that's a good point. I, I can sort of try to explain on a high level. So uh, on a high level, the concept is, you know, in Bitcoin, you have this thing called an SPV wallet, right? Where okay. basically you have this light client and it can kind of verify, you know, that the, the current height and if you send it a, a transaction, then it can check, oh, this is in the valid chain and this is at the right height. And it's okay. It's not exactly a full node, but it's like still very secure. 
Um, so in Cosmos, the way it works is basically that the, um, the one, the Cosmos hub is like a light client of all of these other blockchains. Okay. Uh, so the Cosmos hub, what it needs to do is it basically needs to keep up with who are the validators of that other chain. And so whenever validators change, it kind of, it needs to know like, okay, Binance is sending, yeah, I'm getting some transaction that is, it says it's coming from Binance. Uh, but, you know, is it true or is it current? Well, first of all, I need to know who are the, all of the validators, what's the validator set that has the authority to sign off on kind mm. of, you know, the, the, the valid transaction. As long as that's the case, I can kind of trust, okay, this is the, the right thing, you know. Um, so you have to keep up with these validator set changes. Um, now this won't happen like so frequently cause there's also this onbonding period. And, and I think that's one of the reasons for it. Uh, so that it takes some time to change, uh, like if you have a validator in the set, take it out. It takes some time. Um, yeah, that, but that I seems mean, like, uh, it's going to work a lot better for proof of stake systems because you know who the validator set is as opposed to proof of work systems where it's kind of arbitrarily and permissionless and the only person you can trust is the last person who submitted a block with proof of work. Right, right, exactly. So it's, it's more, it's definitely more complicated to also connect Cosmos with a proof of work chain. Uh, because one of the things that Cosmos has, or these tenement chains have, is that when a block is created, it's like final. So there's no forks and stuff like that. Uh, or at least not in the way that, you know, in you have it in proof of work systems. And so it's, it's, you you because you get a block that you get a transaction that's in a block from another blockchain you can kind of rely on it, but of course in Bitcoin that's not exactly the case right because you could have some reorganization potentially and you know in Ethereum you often have uncle blocks and you have like small reorganizations a lot, and so the question is then how can you know how can you trust those transactions when you know something is actually final, and so then in Cosmos there's going to be uh, these almost intermediary blockchains and the intermediary blockchains will kind of work that let's say you have a hundred validators and they're all running a full node of Bitcoin as well as that other um, blockchain. And then they kind of watch and, and let's say you want to move some Bitcoin to Cosmos. So you put, you make a transaction, put some Bitcoin into this address that's controlled by this validator set. And now this validator set watches the Bitcoin blockchain and it does probably this, you know, the same thing that an exchange does. It says, okay, I am going to wait for six confirmations or, or something like that. And once that's the case, I'm basically saying, okay, this transaction is valid. So you have this, uh, you, you almost need to have this sort of, um, in between thing where people are kind of simultaneously watching the Bitcoin blockchain as well as producing finality for these events to happen in the Bitcoin blockchain. I think it's there important like a, to note that, like, um, the people who are using these things at the at the very end of the day, at least potentially, don't know about any of this stuff. It's like there's a lot of layers. Like what Brian just described is like blockchains all the way down, right? It, there's there's a lot of like complexity, inter like interoperability between different types of blockchains and sometimes the same and mm -hmm. you know all, all these things that are happening in validator sets and then other validator sets and all, it gets confusing it's it's very confusing but the end application binance in this case uh will be very easy to use yeah yeah to me it's like 
what what it looks like is going on behind the scenes is if you've ever seen a top a bird's eye view of like a railway hub like an industrial railway hub and just it's it's impossibly complex it's just it's it looks so complex and you're like you know what i'm glad that there are certified professionals making sure all those trains don't smash head on and that's that's yeah. what it looks like it's 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 going to have to go to so that the end result is you get a nice comfy train ride and you get to walk from car to car and eat your eat your meals and maybe even play pool on the train if it's that awesome but then you don't you have you don't need to know how the rails are switching and things like that so that's just yeah. got it that's first off like congratulations uh even though you don't necessarily work for cosmos on the like launch of cosmos hub what can people expect now i mean because like i'd say cosmos has been working on doing this for a long time i mean we've been we've been hearing about cosmos for what is it defcon 2 defcon 1 about four years i mean the cosmos i think the original sort of white paper but back then nobody paid any attention was in like 2016 yeah and then and then you know the token the fundraiser was in april 2017 so it's I mean, I would say work in in earnest on Cosmos has definitely going been going on for a bit over two years, um, and then of course the compo- Tendermint as a as a key part of it has been in development for almost five years. And Tendermint is is uh, like a, kind of taking a lot of um, advice from traditional academic Byzantine fault tolerance. That's that's why it operates the way it does. It can only have a certain amount of validators, and it can have the same guarantees that it says it has because it's it's pulling from a lot of older literature before Nakamoto consensus. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So basically, Jay. So Jay, I think he's he was working on building a Bitcoin exchange at one point, and I don't think that went very far. But one of the things he when he was working on that he was kind of grappling with was the issue of in Bitcoin, you don't have finality, so then you build an exchange. You know, so then you have to build in some logic. Oh, I'm only going to approve deposits after some confirmation, or I think it gets worse in something like Ethereum where you have more forks. That you know, let's say, um, let's say there's a fork, and something gets undone. Now you have to roll back the state of an application. Like what happens then? Like what a nightmare. You know, imagine now I'm sending you some in-game good and it triggers some event, but there's some reorganization and now the transfer is not on the blockchain anymore, but like it's already triggered whatever event in your UI. So I think the the lack of finality is a real is a real a tricky thing to handle from an application development perspective. And so he was felt like, oh, there should be finality. And, and he started, so he started looking at, yeah, academic literature on consensus systems and he found this. Uh, so he started working on basically implementing one of these classical and pretty simple consensus algorithms uh, in, in a blockchain world. Uh, and of course, there are some important differences, right? So the assumption in these traditional consensus algorithms is that, okay, we have, a, let's say that's five people and together, you know, we run this blockchain and they're all known and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fixed set and they kind of, you know, know each other. Um, so of course you don't want to have that in, in the blockchain case, right? You want to be able to have like anonymous validators to come in and you want them to be able to dynamically change. Uh, and if you don't trust them, 
then you need to hold them accountable somehow, right? Because in the traditional mm -hmm. senses, so as long as we trust, as long as the majority is honest, this is going to work. But you should kind of assume that majority is honest if like anybody can become a validator, right? So then you start having an economic, uh, basically, you start adding economics to it, basically saying, okay, you have, you can become a validator, but you have to put up a security bond. So now you start having a game theoretic security similar to Bitcoin, right? Where you also say, okay, you know, as long as the majority is honest and, you know, with the hashing power being this high, it will cost as much to attack. So you can kind of reason a similar way in, in Tenement uh, or in, in Cosmos because you start having security bonds. Um, and then, yeah, so then there's a lot, a lot of stuff around that, around, you know, delegation too. We can mm -hmm. probably speak a bit about delegation. Um, yeah, is there a, that's a great way to go ahead, dude. Is there like a um, decentralization like threshold? And what I mean by that is, is there like a certain proportion of validators needed per users of Cosmos? Right. Like if you got so many, you know, if you got cert, a, a set of users, what would be the proportion of that that need to be validators in order to prove decentralization enough to, e to be trusted? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good question. So it it works as follows. Um, so in each round, when each block is produced, all of these validators have to communicate, right? So the block has to be sent around, and people have to uh, the validators have to vote on it. And the block is only valid if sixty seven percent of the validator of the voting power, uh, basically of this kind of if you you take each validator, you see how much security bond or how much tokens have been staked with them, and then they sign off and that's basically the weight of the signature. So you have to get 67% of this weight for a block to be final. So the implications are all of these validators have to communicate with each other and they have to send this block around and then there's different, different steps too, right? You have this pre-vote and pre-commit. There's like three different rounds or something. Um, and so the, the situation you have in Tendermint is that the more validators you add, the more the communication, the more communication is needed. So actually, the more validator you add, the slower the network gets. So you have to gonna have to increase the, um, the block time. So in in test nets in Cosmos, uh, for example, there was this test net which was kind of like a game and sort of competition. And there, there was I think at the beginning close to two hundred validators in there, and that worked pretty well. Um, and now in the Cosmos mainnet, there's a limit initially of a hundred validators. And right now there's, I think around 80 or something. So there's still some, you know, that could join. Uh, and that's, you know, that has like six and a half second block times at the moment. So, so you have that kind of dynamic, right? So if you, and, and Binance, for example, they want to have 13 validators, I think. And, and EOS is oh, not necessarily the same type of consensus, but they have 21 validators just for comparison. Right. And yeah, yeah. what's interesting about about Cosmos is that you have delegation, which is something you mentioned a second ago. It's like you may have this validator set, but people can delegate their 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 tokens to the validators to increase their stake. Is that how it works? How does how does delegation work? Yeah. So so let's say you have some atoms, uh, and you don't want to run a validator. Like running a validator is a complex thing, right? You're gonna have to i mean we have a team of six working on this basically right so there's mm -hmm. a uh, you know there's a lot of work into it so so you may first of all you may not want to run a validator because it's too much work uh, and you don't have the time you don't have the knowledge 
you may also not want to be able to run a validator because hey there's a limit of 100 right so if they and and they're basically by how much stake there is so the number 100 would be i don't know you know right now it's basically nothing but like in in a few months maybe it will you will need like 100,000 atoms or something like that to be to have that spot so but then you still want to participate in the system so how do you do it you would basically say okay let me look at all of these different validators and you know we uh, as course one we, we would be one of them and then you can say, okay, let, let me delegate to some of those. So to delegate would mean that you create a transaction um, and on the blockchain. And that transaction basically, let's say you have a thousand atoms. Uh, that transaction basically says, uh, these are now in some sort of almost escrow, almost some kind of on-chain smart contract. And the thousand atoms get counted towards R, let's say you choose course one, towards R stake. Right, so let's say before we had 100,000 atoms that had been staked with us. Now we have 101,000 atoms. So that means our, when we have these rounds of signatures, our kind of our relevance has increased a little bit because, hey, you trust us now or you've put this um, weight on us. So, so that's, that's how you influence the consensus process by your delegation. It's basically by giving different weight to different validators, depending on which you choose. And now in Cosmos, you have block rewards and you have transaction fees, just like in you know most other networks. And those block rewards and transaction fees, they get paid to the validators and to the delegators. Um, and basically, you know, let's say let's say we earn. Uh, a, a thousand atoms in in block reward or in in you know, revenues, and you have delegated to us, and you have like one percent of this. Then you would get you know after thousand, basically one percent, like ten atoms, mm-hmm. right? So for having delegated to us, so you can kind of earn something a little bit like interest on your atoms. And then what we would do is we charge some fee on that. So let's say in, in our case that fee is fifteen percent. So out of those 10 atoms that are kind of generated because you delegated to us, you would get eight and a half and we would get one and a half for, you know, for you for providing the capital and we for doing the work. Um, so that's that. Now, there is the other thing, which is let's say we really mess up and we do this thing called double signing, which basically means that at a particular block height, we sign on two different blocks. So the, so let me briefly explain why this is such an issue. So in, in Cosmos, the idea is a block, you know, as soon as you have 67% of the, of the voting power that confirms a block, it's considered final. Um, and well, lost your voice there. Oh, Somehow it got muted. Brian, you're muted. Unmute yourself. I think his mic probably uh, usually happens when the mic kind of. Brian, you about want to re- uh, reconnect. We can't hear you. In the meantime, no, we're going to sing Girl from Ipanema. Young and <laughs> was lovely, the girl from Ipanema. I'll text him. I'll type to him. Hey, Ray, how you He's doing? Ray joined us as well. I don't know what the hell happened. Right, the girl from Ipanema is old school. That's like from, that's like from like 60 episodes ago, isn't it? I'm an old soul, right? Oh, wait. No, we actually did play that in the middle of an episode once. We care not about copyright laws. 
Oh, I thought uh, it was from an open source recording or something. <laughs> I mean, the song's so damn old, it's probably nobody cares, right? Um, but, Ray, I forgot to congratulate you, man. On what? XRP's on Coinbase. And I didn't even say congratulations. I didn't even say, look at that face. What's up with that face? <laughs> you're so you're muted, happy. Brian. Is your microphone unplugged? There we go. He's going to be reconnecting. Um, He's still muted, though. You're still muted, Brian. What is the point of these coins being added to Coinbase, though, other than pump up the price? Like, Stellar Lumens is on there now. Like, why? Why are they even on oh, there? It's, it's not in- a pump up the price thing. It's a Coinbase is trying to get them dollars thing. But go ahead, Ray. Go ahead. Yeah, every single transaction that happens is where they make their money. So if you're Fry's Electronics and you make money every time somebody buys a new brand, then you were definitely going to want brand diversity. Right. But yeah. if anybody else did this, they'd be like ostracized. But Coinbase does it. And you know what I mean? Any anything other than you you know there he is. his mic is on. His mic is on, by the way. Okay, okay. Uh, we're supposed yeah. to focus on stuff other than the price, and that's all they care about. That's the only reason why they're adding stuff on there. Uh I think there's there's like we're talking two levels of conversation in the same show. Like with um I don't I don't I'm not sure Coinbase cares anymore. So Brian, we switched it up just for a quick sec while you dropped out. And we're now talking about how Coinbase is willy-nilly adding all kinds of tokens. And Coinbase has never made it a secret that they are an exchange. Like they're, They've been pretty upfront about that for a long time. And exchanges just make money by being the middleman. So they're going to, as wherever there's volume, they're going to find a way to add it. And they had all this cute stuff from a, like, public relations standpoint like we have a doctrine of how you get a token on our exchange and if you don't satisfy the 18 points of the doctrine that's all bullshit they're uh, going where the- i'm not gonna go that far and say that i, I know some of the well, things that they do to make sure that the tokens that are being added or evaluated or vetted in some way shape or form they're not adding them willy-nilly granted they are adding them to make a profit but there's 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 justification behind why they add them from an infrastructure okay. standpoint, it's like it's solid uh, to, a, to, a, yeah. to a given threshold. I mean, if, if you look at their their token evaluation thing, I think it's mainly mainly they're trying to reduce regulatory risks, right? So mainly they're like, oh, can can we have some reasonable claim that this is not a security? And you know, do people want to trade it? And if so, you know, then they'll add it. There's the other so part Brian, of that in that... terms of like support, because if say if they add a, a token and that blockchain fucks up or has a massive reorg or the wallets fail, then they have to they have to deal with that because they're a custodian and they don't want to deal with that. So they'd rather add something that's relatively stable, so they don't have to deal with a tremendous amount of support on behalf of that network. Hey Brian, is there regulatory risk if your project relies on six or seven blockchains out there? Is there any risk if one of them is found to be a security? Is does your, does it is it like if any one part is ruled a security, does that make the entire aggregate gestalt a security suddenly? Well, that that question is definitely beyond my uh, level of expertise. <laughs> Immediate <laughs> disclaimer. But. Uh, <laughs> But I would say, I mean, I've had some conversations with lawyers and it definitely seems like, okay, if, if let's say some token is a security, like let's say for us running a validator on some network where if the token ends up being a security, I think that would be a very big issue um, and has all kinds of like strange things that we wouldn't want to get into and wouldn't know how to handle. So I think that's really something to 
to avoid. Now, I think fortunately with Cosmos uh, or with Atoms, that seems very unlikely. Okay. Um, the point of Atoms is it only for staking? Yeah, so staking, and then the other thing, governance. Uh, I think those are the two main functions of Atoms at this point. Uh, and so the governance works as follows. And, and so that's that's also, you know, yeah, I think you asked before, like, what can you do with Cosmos today? Uh, so the, the main thing you can do is staking. Uh, and what you can't do is you can't transfer the coins. So you can't say, like, I can't send you any Atoms today. That doesn't work. Boo. And... <laughs> <laughs> And um, and the reason is that when Cosmos Mainnet is launched, that has been disabled, the transfer. Um, and for it to be enabled, there needs to be a governance vote. So somebody can make a proposal and say, hey, oh, you have an atom there. Very nice. Yeah, exactly. You can take your atom there. There's going to be like a private key behind, right? Um, and then you could participate in this vote. You can say, yes, I want transfers enabled. Um, and... And so that's probably going to happen pretty soon, you know, in a few weeks. Uh, and and so the governance thing is the other thing that's really important. And I expect to see lots and lots of different governance votes. There's also this thing where of all of the block rewards and transaction fees, there's like a 2% tax is taken. And it gets paid into this kind of almost like a DAO, you know, the smart contract on chain. And then the token holders will be able to vote and decide what to do with it. Mm. Okay. How do I get my hands on some atoms? Then I gotta do. I do. I have to. Can I mine it? Can I virtually mine it, or do well, I take me I through mean, that process? Right. I want some I atoms. Mean, yeah, sure. I mean, if you have some atoms, you can stake them, and you can earn some more atoms, right? But if you don't have any atoms, well, you can't stake your non-atoms to earn atoms. I can't get in that club. I'm that's kind of like that's, that was a. Oh, uh, damn. I think that may be, I don't know if it's a criticism, but something people worry about from the outside community is is the somewhat small set of people that have the initial amount of atoms and they're yeah. going to profit from that. And like, what, what, how have you heard these types of arguments? And if so, what has been your rebuttal to them? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, so it's certainly true that, uh, so yeah, let, let me first answer the question of how to get atoms and then we can get to the question of standardization. So, I mean, there are a whole bunch of exchanges that have started trading some sort of weird thing that they call atoms, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. Uh, so there are some sort of IOUs and futures and stuff like that. So, I mean, you could try that. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's because you won't actually be able to withdraw atoms. So it's probably better to wait. Uh, mm-hmm. until it's actually, uh, you know, it's actually traded properly in exchange and you, you can buy items and withdraw it. I suspect it's going to be when it launches, there may be a bit of a hype. So maybe it makes sense to wait a little bit, but I guess that depends on price and stuff. And I don't know. Um, yeah, so that's, that's on the buy. And once you have that, you can start staking and then you can also start earning more items and you can participate in the governance and you can do all those things. Um, now, when it comes to the question of centralization, so so first of all, it's true that the item supply is not all, you know, it's not in a huge number of hands, right? In, in the fundraiser, there was only around 800 or something like that participants. Uh, so that's, you know, that's not a, a very large number. Um, now, if, you know, first of all, I think as soon as it starts getting traded, this will increase a lot. 
Right. So I think after like a month of trading, I'm pretty sure it will be in the, you know, tens of thousands or something like that, you know? Um, so that's, that's one thing. And the other thing is the question, like, does it need to be that decentralized? I mean, I think the important thing is that it needs to be highly secure, the Cosmos Hub, that in the, the decision-making that's being done with the governance is, you know, reasonable and makes sense. So I think having people who are actually very engaged with the system and knowledgeable about it, uh, is pretty good. Uh, and you know, as an end user of using the Cosmos hub and stuff like that, you won't necessarily need ads. Um, so let's say you're writing some Bitcoin payment through the Cosmos hub to Binance or something like that. Then in the future, you'll be able to pay you all your fees in Bitcoin on the way. And you don't really care, right? It's just. At Cosmos Hub, it's just basically kind of the service provided. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure it's, it's such a huge issue. Um, it's also, I think, the the Adam community or the community, uh, the Cosmos community in general, but also the community holding Adams is really an amazing community. There's just so many like smart people, and they've been involved in you know crypto for since for a very long time, and. So I think the quality of the token holders in the community is extremely high. And so I think that's good. I honestly think that's better than what, let's say, let's say if you look at something like Tezos, right, that managed to get a lot of mindshare and be in mainstream media on Forbes and Bloomberg. And, you know, I remember like last year I went to went to bicycle somewhere and started talking with the guy and the guy, you know, didn't have much of a clue, but he did money into Tezos fundraising. So <laughs> I, I don't know how valuable that is. I honestly think it's better if uh, the tokens are held by people who actually understand. Especially the for the functionality of what it's what, what it's supposed to be for. I agree with that. I mean, it's, it's, not, yeah. it's not a speculative vehicle. It's for a purpose. And the more you have a community of people who are only using it for speculation, the more one volatility it has. And it's almost like uh, the more dead vote you have. Yeah, in a lot of ways. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And another point on this is that, you know, Cosmos is a very like decentralized system. So you can have all of these different blockchains in the Cosmos uh, system. Now they can connect to the Cosmos hub. They don't have to. Uh, also, you can create your own hub, right? You could create a competing hub and say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to try to provide a better service than the Cosmos hub and maybe uh, you know, people route through me. So it does have this, you know, this kind of balance here. And so somebody, if, if it ends up being the case, right, that let's say the token distribution is too distributed and for this reason, it's an obstacle to getting community adoption or who, who knows what problems it will cause. Like somebody can basically take it, fork it and create another version. And, you know, for the all of the cosmos, all of these blockchains in the cosmos universe, you know, it wouldn't be a big issue just connecting to a different hub. Um, hmm. So I, I think there is this kind of checks and balances uh, as well. Okay, we got a couple questions from uh, the audience, if you will. These people I asked in the, in the Slack community when I told them you were coming on. Uh, and, do we need sound effects like, to switch to the segment? What? Like, do we need special sound? This is a segment, right? We're in, this we, is need, a we need segment sound effects for the yeah. future. Questions from the Slack. Slack. I think this is the main thing that I haven't gotten to is how do people who who are currently working on 
we'll just say Ethereum because it's probably one of the largest development communities that could potentially interact with Cosmos or port over to Cosmos. How do they interact with Cosmos? And, and what's like the steps forward for decentralized applications that work there um, using Cosmos or what's the benefit of that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good question. I mean, there's also, again, a whole bunch of different ways uh, that could happen. Uh, I mean, so uh, of course, one, you know, one thing we're doing now is running this Cosmos validator, but there's actually a different network that we launched a validator on about a month ago, which is a network called Loom. So Loom is this like gaming, uh, Ethereum gaming sidechain. So in some level, it's kind of like, an, you know, Loom is an ERC-20 token. You can move it on this sidechain and then you can have like in games and in-game assets and all kinds of stuff. Crypto zombies. Crypto zombies, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so Loom on some level, you could, I mean, and they're, they're one of the leading plasma cash projects. So they are kind of an Ethereum sidechain in some way, but they also use, for example, Tendermint as a consensus. And they've also announced that they will connect with the Cosmos hub. So then now you have some sort of hybrid thing, which isn't, it isn't totally clear. It's just like an Ethereum project, Cosmos projects, something in between. Um, so I guess that would be one way, right? You could have maybe Ethereum sidechains that can connect to Cosmos or like you could just have tokens that can move from Ethereum to Cosmos and then do things. I mean, not now, but then, you know, in a few months, uh, that should be possible or maybe six, six plus months. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing could be like, let's say you have an application on Ethereum and you're struggling a little bit because the transaction throughput is high and the fees are too high and the blocks are too full and, and just the kind of usual worries you have with, with Ethereum. Well, you could say, I'm going to actually build my application again, but I'm going to use this Cosmos SDK. So I'm going to basically build my own blockchain that's kind of specially purposed around the application I have so that I get much higher throughput and, you know, I kind of move my community over there and then they can also have governance over the chain. So let's say they want to change the block size or the block time and they can do all of those things. Um, so that's another way. So they could potentially build on the Cosmos SDK. And there's also a whole bunch of, uh, you know, projects looking at doing that or, or doing that already. Um, and then a, a third, a third way that comes to mind right now is there's this project called Ethermint. And Ethermint is basically the EVM uh, running on top of Tendermint. Is that the is that the quote unquote hard spoon? Yeah, oh, the hard. <laughs> so not necessarily. So it basically just you have the EVM, you put it on top of Tendermint. So the big benefit is okay, Tendermint is much faster. Tendermint just better throughput and things like that. So you could have. Um, you could then basically take your Ethereum application with all its Solidity code and you just port it over and you put it on Ethermint and now you have, uh, you know, the same application, but it runs faster and it runs cheaper uh, and you have finality. So now Ethermint isn't exactly, isn't quite ready yet. It's been in development for a while. So I, I spoke with the guy developing it a few days ago and, and I think it's probably going to be another six months or something until that's... Uh, until that's really usable, but that would be another another thing. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, and there has been this idea of uh, like a hard spoon. Um, basically, you, can, yeah. you can wiggle when you say that. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have. A, I used to do a similar thing back in my early twenties. 
the hard spoon tactic. <laughs> and, uh, had a, quite a high 67% success rate. Uh, oh, on that, so <laughs> sorry, go on. We were having a good conversation. Yeah, it's, it's basically the same idea, right? In blockchain land, <laughs> go for it, go for it. So, uh, I mean, the idea with this hard spoon was that. Okay, let there's the Ethereum community and like let's say you wanna kind of onboard them in some way in the Cosmos ecosystem. How do you do it? And then of course a, an obvious idea seemed to be that okay, you have the EVM and with all its smart contracts, and we can basically have Ethermain where you have tenement at the bottom and it works a bit better. Uh why don't we just fork the entire Ethereum thing? And, you know, we kind of, so one idea was, okay, we fork it and then maybe they can just kind of keep these applications running, but with a different consensus. Um, now I think the hard spoon, the main idea was actually, oh, let's create a new token and we kind of airdrop it to all ether holders. Uh, and then the idea was, I don't know. I mean, the ideas of this hard spoon is I've always been a little bit, um, lots of people have different ideas and they're not super um well pull through i think mm -hmm. uh so what exactly is going to happen there i don't know um in any case it's going to be subject to governance vote so whatever happens like the adam community is is going to have to vote on it and so far there's no proposal that's actually you know in the state of that one can call it a proper proposal so i don't know where this is going to go mm. uh -huh. I'm 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 relatively satisfied with my Cosmos questions. Is there, anyone else have anything they want to grill Brian on? Uh, no, not really. I I wish that there was some. I just have wishes for the community nowadays. It used to be hope, <laughs> but now it's just wishes. I wish that that the thing that sucks about decentralization is that building standards is near impossible. I mean, it just sucks because. I think standards help. I think standards help drive consistency. They help drive progress. If everybody's like reading off the same sheet of music, then we can get a symphony. But the second that, you know, somebody doesn't like a standard or doesn't like a protocol, they fork off or they have their own project. And that's just, I wish that would, I wish that pace would slow down. I don't like, know. There's really know. good projects. It's still so out early. There. I kind of appreciate the experimentation with different ways of doing things. And and I'm 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 open to all of the different groups of people trying different things to see what works best. Granted, there's always going to be a bit of a I don't know competition slash weird marketing slash confusion slash other things that happens along the way. But in the end, I think like I, I hope or I wish, as you do, that the best project in terms of providing a quality product for end users wins. And, uh, sure, Cosmos isn't an Ethereum killer. Shh, whatever, it's 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 yeah. competition. All of these all of these things that say they would like to be a part of Ethereum or or work alongside Ethereum or implement the EVM so that people can port over. It's all competition because at the end of the day, you need people using an application that's built on something. And the in the in the in in any blockchain system, value is derived from the community that uses it. Uh, but you're also seeing such things like you mentioned with Loom, where like they're kind of these hybrid projects where they kind of use a lot of different technologies, 
and their value is derived from their community, despite the technologies they end up using. And and mm-hmm. and in fact, all the technologies they're using end up gaining in value too, because they're helping serve that community do something. And so, like, we're not going to really know how it works, how it looks, and how it operates until we have large communities being served quality service with however they're built with mm-hmm. various technologies. I just, I want us to get past the point because I, I think as a community, as a whole, we've been saying this stuff is going to be awesome in the next five years. We've been saying that for the last five years. So <laughs> oh, I think we've got another five years to go. Well, <laughs> so, you know what, you Dimitri, know. I'll tell you that the funny thing is, is that as a listener, I will tell you, that one of the differences between the three Bitcoin podcast hosts is that Corey seems to treat uh, cryptocurrency as if it's an infant or a toddler, and we're very, very early. And you tend to treat it like it's an adolescent, and Marcelo tends to treat it like it's an old man that's all broke down. (laughs) (laughs) That's very, very good observation. Uh, Cello, would you agree with that? Yeah, we're definitely like... uh, you know, three pigs that build our houses out of different shit for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at crypto like, come on, man, get a job. Get put a- the Xbox controller down. Like, grow up already. <laughs> but go get a job. Like, you're such a dependent. Um, so Crypto Cousins joined in. How's it going, wow. Gary? Gary, you're muted. You are muted. You look real slick, though, while you're talking. Hey, how's it <laughs> How's it going? Good, good. I'm sorry. I was just sitting here doing a little work. It's Saturday morning. And uh, I remember I was talking to Ray and he said, hey, they uh, come on Saturday mornings. And I saw you on Facebook. And yeah. today I'll jump in there and see what they're doing. I've it's not watched melding it. of the so, minds uh, today. We have us, yeah. Epicenter, and Crypto Cousins. What's going on? It's, it's, a, it's a podcast world. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only, um, yeah, Gary, I, didn't, I wasn't a jerk. We we put the link in the Slack for a reason. I could have just copied the link to you in Facebook, but no, we're, we want people to join the Slack. That's how they get in the show. So Hey, I'm already in the Slack, dude. I, mean, I know. You know. That's why I It took me 30 seconds. That so wasn't a big deal. I, appreciate, I I said I just thought of it all of a sudden. I didn't even so, know what time it was. Ray told me it was like 9 p.m. Uh, It varies. It depends on our schedules. But let's talk about something. So Joseph B. Lubin said something uh he said that ethereum in the next two years is going to be able to scale to millions of transactions per second that's some lot that's a lofty goal i i read that and i was like <coughs> bullshit <coughs> okay but, five years this is, is this, there... is, this is how i see that being played out or like what what things that are happening right now on the on the timeline that could potentially lead to something like what he just said one is sharding. We have like F two point actually working. We have a beacon chain, and those beacon and that beacon chain serves uh, what a thousand twenty eight different shards. It's, each shard is its own separate state of the blockchain, right? Damn. So you okay. have so that's that's what we'll say if we maintain the same rate of transactions for Ethereum, which should should be better by that time. It's, we'll say twelve transactions per second times ten to the twenty eight. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Times a thousand twenty-eight will give you that many yeah. transactions per second. And now each of these things can be served by a a layer two solution, such as a plasma chain, um, in conjunction with state channels. And from there, you can pretty much arbitrarily make that number as large as you want, uh, assuming that those technologies actually work. Because any of those layer two technologies start off by putting some type of stake into the chain, 
and then you just do willy-nilly willy-nilly transactions outside of the chain that don't require any type of consensus outside of the parties that are involved. So if me and you are in a state channel, we, the only people that have to care about those transactions are me and you. There's no block time, there's no fee, etc. And then when we're done, we say, all right, we're finished. These are our current balances based on what we've been doing in terms of business. And we publish that to the, to the blockchain. And you can think of a plasma chain almost like the Merkleization of that idea. Um, and, and that's how you basically arbitrarily make up whatever number of transactions you want and say that the network serves those things. Uh, whether or not that's actually going to be true, I hope so, because state channels and plasma chains can work across most of the networks that are trying to scale. And I really hope that sharding works to increase the base layer of how fast things go through in terms of what you actually have to like everyone agree on. And, and that's that's where it comes up with that. But it's it's who the hell knows? There's there's I don't know, six other networks of decent value that could potentially compete for taking over all of the developers in Ethereum. And and like Ray said, I treat it like an infant and there's no way to really know what we're going to be calling it in five years. It could be Cosmos. It could be, it's not going to be Tezos. It could be Definity. You know, it could be these other networks that are trying to do the same thing. Corey, are there any inherent mathematical problems with that prediction though? Like are we limited by latency or by Moore's law or anything like that? No, because it's, 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 ambiguous on what you call a transaction sure if we say on-chain transactions then we might be running into issues here yeah mm. brian would you yeah. disagree with anything i just said no i i would say i i mean i think when it comes to the whole ethereum vision so we we did uh pot we did two nice podcasts on this topic so we did one with justin drake who's kind of the guy kind of you know leading a little bit the work on this Ethereum 2.0 design. And then we did another podcast episode recently with Ty Alexei Akunov. And he's the guy, I mean, he does actually, he works on, the main thing he works on is Ethereum 1.x. And it's basically improving the existing Ethereum. And one of the reasons why he thinks this is so important is because he thinks the Ethereum 2.0 vision is so far away. And you know, his estimate was like, okay, that's gonna be five years, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and he actually also works on Ethermint a bit. So, so that that's also comes in, like, what do you mean if you talk about scaling Ethereum to some big number? I mean, Corey, I think you totally pointed out it's, it's a little bit ambiguous. I mean, you could also, if you think of Ethereum as the EVM and the developer community, then, you know, let's say having Ethermint is a way of scaling Ethereum. And in a way, you can also think of Cosmos as a much less complicated way of doing sharding. You know, sharding is hard if you have like one set of validators and they're validating all of these different chains and now you have to somehow shuffle and each validator only sees a little subset and so they get some other, you know, information from another chain. They're not sure if it's valid or not. So then you need to have these, you know, like in Polkadot, these fraud proofs and it gets very complicated. Sure. In in Cosmos basically you just say, okay, we can have lots of different Ethermint chains that totally, I mean, they have their own security responsible for their own thing and they can speak with each other. So I, I kind of like that because it's just, it's just much less complicated. And, you know, I think we've seen already how hard it is to build stuff in the blockchain space and, you know, I, mm -hmm. and, you know, so things like lightning network, oh, it looks sort of simple-ish, no? And, 
we've done podcasts about that in 2015, I guess. Jeez. And they were like, hey, it's going to be five months and it's, yeah. you can use it. We did the same thing with roast beef <laughs> on the show like a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they're doing great work, right? So, I mean, then there's clearly some progress, but it also just goes to show it's so hard to get the stuff right. So, you know, maybe even the five years from Ethereum 2.0 is like ambitious or like unrealistic. So I, I think like simplicity is really... Um, Mm-hmm. Like the simplest way of accomplishing something is is the way that is most promising and the most simple. I do want to mention though, like <laughs> don't listen to Lubin too much. That's like the CEO of Coke telling you it's the best soda in the world. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a, a bit of point. an incentivization there. Of like, oh, we're going to be doing it all. Everything's going to be happening here. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Hey, what quick question here. for Ray and Gary. Uh, while we got you here. Uh, would you say that Corey and, and Brian look similar? Like almost related? <laughs> oh, you did that because they're white. <laughs> no, that's not white at all, Corey. What are you talking about? Let let them speak. Why are you? Why are you okay, well, I, I see they're both white, but that's about it. Oh my god! Yeah, I told you. <laughs> and I'm gonna so go bad. ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and run their faces through the facial recognition algorithm that's running okay. on the cluster behind me, and uh, we'll see. <laughs> Ray just has that we'll, stuff we'll happening all the time. They're both beards. Now looking at them both at the same time, I see them both at the same time. They both have beards. They're both white. Their hair doesn't look the same their face doesn't look the same their nose doesn't look the same um no they don't sorry d white people look alike to you <laughs> you are racist i feel, I feel so it's bad official now i won't feel bad when somebody confuses me with some other random black person that i'm not so yeah yeah now you can't blame them anymore no yeah i'm sorry i apologize i'm just messing with you i'm just messing with you. but no they don't look the same so well uh, uh, i do want to point out that uh, there's over a decade of Bitcoin podcast experience in this room, and there's only like six people. Yeah, yeah. So collectively, we are officially a uh, an expert in terms of the ten thousand hours. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. we're getting there. Um, yeah, I didn't really have. I, there was another thing that I thought was so. Everyone listening now, um, you may have by the time you hear this, you will have just heard just the headers, but we recorded a full episode hour and 20 minutes of juice and then the audio file corrupted but there we came across this article that i thought was kind of interesting and there was a research done by a company called delphi and they said 80 percent of the eth supply is held by only 7.5 thousand addresses and then when i initially read that i was like so so what i mean so that's what? actually pretty distributed if you ask me i thought it was way less than that i mean i would i would assume yeah. it'd be way less than that I thought it was a lot of addresses myself. I mean, <laughs> I guess what I'm getting at is it doesn't matter what where where cryptocurrency started was from just a strictly financial, um, strictly financial origins, and now we've kind of gone off into having these decentralized apps and we all sorts of things are going on now, Corey. Like you said, it doesn't matter because the transactions are ambiguous. Um, but if we're not talking about that much ambiguity and we're just talking about from the financial aspect, is does humanity ever even get past the point where a large amount of the wealth is held by a small percentage of it? Because no. Absolutely I didn't, not. I don't think so either. Like, I'm not. trying to... I mean, think okay. about like any of these projects uh, got started because they were 
uh, believed in by a small number of people. And who, like, why shouldn't those people be uh, rewarded for their belief in work and a project that no one else believed in at the time to make it a reality that becomes more valuable later on down the line? That's always going to be the case. And yeah. in those circumstances, it will be relatively centralized in terms of who holds what, what value. Also, there's not everyone equally cares about something, which means they're not equally willing to put money into it. Uh, I'd say if Ethereum is quite centralized in terms of the number of addresses that hold the most amount of wealth. But on the other hand, it's probably one of the most distributed amounts of wealth there is on the planet. In terms, it's probably made more millionaires in the in its history than anything else on the planet, except for drugs. I'd say even drugs. You I think Ethereum probably, has made more millionaires nah, than drugs? I think so. I think so. I'm going to go right yeah. here. So, <laughs> yeah. I do hear what you're saying, Corey, and I, I do hear that you're saying that you know it's always going to be an, a, a different distribution. Uh-oh. Who's get, who's on top of the pyramid? The pyramid's the same, but who's on top changes or whatever. I'm always very leery of these statistics about number of wallet addresses versus the, the number of coins because most of those are exchanges, aren't they? Like, most of those actually represent more than one person. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you can't. It's also um, there's you can go both ways. One address is not one person. It could be a collective amount of people, and a bunch of address could also be one person. Um, I've ran into this when doing a lot of my previous distribution analysis and as like major disclaimers of unless you're doing um, address forensics in terms of grouping entities based on a known behavior of how wallets work, then you can't really be sure um, of like who owns what address outside of maybe a contract and a multi-sig contract, right? And, And so because of that, it's hard to say that because one address holds, we'll say, 25% of the value of a given network, that that's one person. It could be one group of people that are aligned in some way because they all have access to a given a given private key. Um, but that's about unless you have more information outside of the blockchain, you can't ever make those. You can't you can't come to hard conclusions. Yeah, but I just wanted to add something or like kind of counter your point, Corey. I don't think I agree that necessarily, you know, the outcome is always going to be a fairly concentrated distribution of wealth. I mean, one thing I've been interested in for a long time as a sort of thought experiment is, let's say uh, we created a new cryptocurrency and it was like a basic income coin and everyone in the world every human being could basically kind of go every month and claim, let's say, 2,000 coins. You know, so their money issuance is just everyone gets 2,000 coins. If they go and claim it, if they don't claim it, they expire, but they can show up next month, right? And it's going to keep going forever. Um, And so at least the distribution aspect in the beginning would be, like, extremely equal. And then if people actually started using this platform, maybe it would actually become valuable. And, and of course, then some people will make more money and accumulate more and stuff like that. But I could imagine that something like that would imagine, would result in a much more uh, equal distribution. And I mean, of course, the issue is, oh, how, how do you know uh, they're really people? And, you know, on the implementation side, I, I'm not sure how one could probably do this today. But I, I think different ways of 
kind of different economic systems with different distribution outcomes are totally conceivable and and I think blockchain will be the perfect you know kind of playground to you know to try them out i i i 100 agree with what you just said and that like blockchains are the best playground for finding new ways of doing distribution of tokens but at the end of the day you have different motivations behind use and hoarding of a given token um now like yeah, this, this is go ahead gary i think that i think that he has a point there but i think that you're going to have people who work 80 hours a week like i do that are going to end up with a lot of those people's 2000 coins and you're going to have people who just like having some money and they're happy. So I think you're going to have the same wealth distribution. The people who work a lot are going to end up with most of those coins because they're going to provide services or something to get those people's coins. And that's where I understood the conversation started was with uh, Dimitri asking if uh, there'd always be an equity of people and money. And I, I agree with that. And I think what Brian's saying is that the sourcing function, the thing that actually distributes the tokens, has some amount of effect on... Um, the overall distribution of how tokens come from. So, like, if you think of, uh, we saw this with, um, as an example, when er, when ICOs started happening, um, we initially had ICO contracts that basically said, "Send me ether, I'll send you tokens that are relative to the amount of ether you sent me." And then we look, I, I I did a lot of distribution analysis on these early ICO to, uh, ICO um, projects, and the first ones that were based like this basically had very small number of people controlling the ma massive majority of all the tokens because they basically bought them all out really, really quickly. They're really inclusive in terms of like the long tail of people who had small amounts of those tokens, but in terms of controlling them out, it was just a few addresses. Then people started becoming wiser because they desired the distribution to be more flat by setting um, like tranches and maximum amounts you can do at a certain time, which limited them. And they did all of these different countermeasures to try and make it so that the average person could have access and the distribution was more flat. And what we saw, at least what I saw when doing analysis on these things, was that it was still heavily skewed, but the long tail was a bit fatter. Um, there were still main contributors doing all kinds of interesting things to get access to these tokens. Uh, and, and much more than the average person, but you had a lot of other people being able to contribute, whereas beforehand they were never able to. And then over time, the flow of that distribution then exacerbated that effect in the sense that those tokens that were maybe started out evenly distributed or more evenly distributed then flew to those people that you just discussed, Gary, the people who are willing to work their ass off to accumulate as much as possible. And I guess it, it so like what actually ends up affecting the distribution of a given token is one, the sourcing function, how you give tokens to people in the first place, and two, what its use case is. If it's value, people will hoard it. If it's only useful in a given context and it needs to be moved around, then and there's no reason to hoard it, or even if you're penalized for hoarding it, then you're not gonna end up with that type of distribution because you don't have incentives to do so. And blockchain gives us a kind of a, a wonderful playground to play with these things, and maybe in the future we'll actually like see something that doesn't incentivize that type of behavior, but I don't ever see that happening. Yeah, so Corey, but if we imagine a perfect distribution, right? The perfect distribution would be every single living citizen 
uses their entire DNA genome as their private key, right? Every single person has a unique private key. Actually, it should be their public key now that I think about it because people could get your DNA at restaurants (laughs) and stuff. Okay, so everyone's public key is their entire genome. If every single person, according to Brian's plan, got 2,000 tokens every month, just simply for for getting them, right? Uh, Never mind Gary's point where he snuck in the fact that he works 80 hours a week, which I thought was a beautiful little uh, sneak in there. (laughs) Uh, But if every single person gets 2,000 tokens based on just you having unique DNA, people are still going to pool those into resources because there's a disparity of interest in the project, right? So I would get all my cousins to send me theirs because they don't care. And, you know, you would try to talk your grandma into staying alive just to keep getting her tokens every month. And we talk would still her end up. Into Ray is, is, is background sneaky. Wow. Like, don't, don't no, trust No way Ray. we're disconnecting those machines, D. We got to keep <laughs> those machines pumping because I need those yeah. tokens. Uh, but my point is, is we would still end up with people hoarding and amassing, you know, these big collections of them in any way. Because some people just aren't interested in either the collection or even, even in any of this at all. Sure. I mean, but there's always been... I mean, I don't have the idea that like there's going to be some sort of perfect equality, and that's clearly not desirable, right? Like, if somebody works much more and like is innovative, like it makes sense that they should end up with more, and like so. But if you look at you know, and, and there's always been inequality, but if you look at inequality historically, right, there were times when it was extremely high, there was times when it was lower, and you know now it's like for example in the 1920s it was extremely high, right, and then in the 50s, 60s it was much lower after the war is much lower and now it's again like rising a lot. So it's clearly, you know, going in different directions over different times by a variety of factors. So if you did something like that and you distributed it by just every person gets on tokens every month and let's assume it's not gameable because I think uh, Corey, what you pointed out is like, okay, in the blockchain context, there may have been attempts going tiny bit in this direction, but they were generally gameable. And then, of course, if they don't, if the mechanism doesn't work, then the mechanism doesn't work. But let's say it did work, then I do think you'd end up with a different distribution. Now, it still would be that the person working 80 hours would have end up with more and like working very hard, doing a better service. But, you know, maybe it wouldn't be as extreme as it is today, you know, where I don't know what it is in the US, but I don't know. Is it 5% of people own like 90% of wealth? I'm not sure what the number is. Sure, sure. Um, so maybe it would be, I don't know, 5% or 50% of them. Or- but it wouldn't be the bankers though. So the whole point was, was let's yeah. overthrow the bankers because they're these evil parties that are protecting their own interests. And so let's overthrow them. But how do we make sure that we're not the next generation of bankers? I don't yeah. think you overthrow the bankers. I think the bankers are pretty smart. That's why they're bankers. You know, they're pretty <laughs> smart and you got a lot of money and a lot of people trust them and have belief in them to back them. I don't think you're overthrowing the bankers. I think they're going to go, oh, here's where we need to go to make yeah. a lot of money, and they're going to move eventually. Yeah. I was actually going to go down that vein with you, Gary, in that I'll make my next five years prediction. Here it is. I'll be saying this for the next five years, by the way. But um, I, I do see very soon a time where you have these announcements by these big entities like J.P. Morgan, Fidelity, where with your direct deposit – you'll have the option to add digital assets to those things. It'll just be a click in your in your banking app. Like, hey, you've been hearing about this sure, Bitcoin sure. thing for like a decade. Guess what we offer now? We're a cool new bank. We offer this cool new service. And if you just click yeah. this button, you can get a percent of your pay in these digital assets that the cool people were talking about. 
Or when you put in your 401k, some of that you can choose Bitcoin to roll it into even. Yeah. Or, right, you know, yeah. right now, they're putting the ink to paper on the laws to make that real. And that's just, I see that as a reality. So we have another guest, by the way. Oh, we have another guest, by the way. Mark, do you want to, is there something you want to say as a part of uh, this conversation or anything else? Are you just listening? Just listening. Oh, we got a wallflower. We got a, we got a a wallflower. Okay. Never mind. We need like a sound effects board. Like, I feel like I could put some work on on that. I think I I can already, I can, I can implement it into, uh, yeah, we need. Hey a, guys, I I gotta go. I got I I'm up here working today because uh, I, I work eighty hours a week. And like, <laughs> <Ray out there>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks for joining yeah, us. Gary. I actually go and accumulate some more tokens. Gary, you can't, <laughs> Gary, you can't possibly leave. Here. You can't possibly leave us without plugging your conference that's coming up. I mean, come on, man. Oh, that's the yeah, whole man. reason. You gave us a code and everything. Just drop drop yeah. a. Yeah. Uh, go to BitBlockBoom. It's August seventeenth and eighteenth. Uh, this will be our second year. Tickets are selling well. Uh, the brunch is going is almost sold out. So if you're interested in going to the Bitcoin brunch that's on the second day, you really need to get your tickets. You know, not the fact that it's going up, just the fact you're not going to be able to go to the brunch because it's only a limited amount of people. And there are only 125 people that can come to the event at all. And it is a Bitcoin event, not a crypto event. I do want to clear that up too. It's uh, There's no ICO shilling or anything. It's just people talking about one coin. Because every time I see a Bitcoin conference nowadays, they hardly have anything on Bitcoin. It's always about crypto in general. So I'm doing a real Bitcoin conference. Whether you like Bitcoin or not, that's what it is. And we had a great time right. last year, and I have a great time this year. And that's my I'm show. Speaking. Yeah, you're speaking. Ray's speaking. Yeah. Ray's speaking. I got my head shot up on the website and everything. Looking so, good, dude. Looking again? good. BitBlock Bit- Boom. Bit yeah, block go boom. Yeah. Go to com, And I don't know, uh, Dimitri, what y'all's code is. It's something like McAfee 2020 or something. But no. <laughs> I think it is. Right. I think Cello, it is I think Cello made it McAfee 2020. Yeah. And if, I, if I'm wrong, because I don't care what code you use, I want to make sure people get it. If they use Cousins, they get 30% off. The same thing if they use McAfee 2020, if that's it. I just can't remember. Yeah. Could have been 2020 McAfee. I don't know. But I know cousins will give you twenty percent off, or, or redacted. That'll give you twenty. That'll give you the okay. same. Yeah. Okay. Please use Mac Fuck those guys. Though. Use our Please affiliate use code. Mac-y-y so we know that you came from <laughs> us, so we can. You know how the game works, audience. All right, use our code, please. McAfee. Yeah, use their code. I'm, I just want to make sure they have a. Co- I can't remember if that was it. Honestly, if that weren't McAfee twenty twenty, then it's twenty twenty right. McAfee. It's one of the two for sure. Yeah. But, hey, I gotta go, guys. I gotta go up front. I got customers out there, and they're right, over, they're overwhelmed to help out there. So nice. Thanks for having right. me on. I enjoyed it. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Right. Good evening, you. See. You. Well, uh, got anything else, guys? It's we're we're over we're hour fifteen in right now, so we can either wrap it up or keep going. Yeah, I did want to talk about one thing that kind of came up in the Slack this week because we were talking um, uh, about laws and about regulations, and it kind of ties into what we were just talking about with regards to the banks and the regulations. Uh, and that is, you know, the distinction between, uh, and it's a really old argument in the crypto world, but the distinction between whether something is quote unquote a security or not. And that that actual distinction that applies to, uh, you know, the Coinbase listing of XRP or anything else has to do with, well, does is it considered a security? And we were talking about the Howey test in the Slack this week. And for those of you that are not familiar with it, uh, Howie was this dude that in the 1940s had a hotel 
And if you stayed at his hotel, he was mostly interested in selling you uh, options in his orange grove, right? So he had a big orange <laughs> grove and, and it was, his scam was, was uh, not scam, his, his business was he'd stay at his hotel and then he would sell you futures based on a different tree, right? And so this went all the way to the Supreme Court. And again, this is 74 years ago. And the Supreme Court ruled that in order to be quote unquote a security, it had to be an investment. Uh, it had to have the expectation of profit and it had to be based on the work of others, right? So that's IPO uh, in order to be a security under the Howey test. And so we were having a big discussion about whether or not some of these tokens, including Ethereum, are have an expectation of profit. Are they based on the work of others? And are they uh, an investment, et cetera? And that ultimately is really kind of what the what the entire argument is. And what I was going, what I was arguing in the Slack was was that Howey test is fantastic, but it's really, really, really old and we really need a better and newer test. And I just wanted to see if you guys had any ideas for a better way of judging whether something is a security. Mm. Well, we definitely need something now that we have digital assets like that. That definitely didn't exist when Homeboy was selling futures of his orange trees. So one, just quick pause, who bought those? Like. That's the dumbest shit ever. But anyways, let's keep let's keep it moving. I think, yes, I think we do need some sort of update that is more encompassing because although I know there's a good majority of people in crypto that think that anarchy is cool, um, it just, yeah, I'm not even going to go down that route. People like to follow the law. There's a larger group of people like that. So there does need to be some sort of definition that allows us to actually operate fluidly so. well did you have the expectation of profit when you invested in in bitcoin so many years ago yes <laughs> did i so here's here's something that should be added gold coat here's something that should be added i think this has been pointed out a lot of the times when evaluating various tokens whether or not they're securities is that um the lip surface people pay to their to describing their own project has nothing to do with whether or not it's actually a security the actual use case of the token and the way that it's marketed and the way that it's sold ends up being the criterion used for evaluating these things. Well, not whether people say it is a utility token and not a security. Uh, so if someone designs a token that is supposed to be a utility token, but ends up being sold and marketed and used as a security token, then it, ends up, then it is a security token by definition of the SEC, at least from the United States. And that needs to be something that's taken into account whenever trying to evaluate these things. No, I totally get it. But I mean, like, for example, baseball cards, they, there's an expectation yeah. of profit yeah. in those. And it's based on the expectation of the performance of others. Is, is a baseball card a security? That's what I mean. Like, I think that the Howey test is old. It's become it's, it's been useful for a long time. But the, the drastic leap in technology that is blockchain in terms of finance uh, is going to require better ways of evaluating whether or not something is security or what even a security is. So like a security should probably, in my opinion, be something that's more similar to a stock, uh, something that is a um, percentage yeah. of, a, of, of a various company and not the native. I don't know. Like It's, it's very hard to yeah. distinguish. Go ahead, Brian. I mean, my... So if you... So if you look at the blockchain space, then I... You know, now you have in Ethereum this kind of DeFi, right? decentralized finance movement and people are building all kinds of stuff. And 
it's, I think, very natural that lots of securities are created in this process. I mean, if you look at, for example, the staking world too, now in some chains, like let's say in Tezos, you need to post a security bond, right? Like as a validator. So you need to have your own capital and post it as a bond. So how do you get that capital? Okay, people, people do kind of, they say, hey, here's my address, send me some money, I give you that back, what's the return? And it's obviously security, right? Um, so, and, and then you could have some sort of, maybe we pool our money and we have some sort of insurance product in case somebody gets slashed. And there's so many of these different like securities that people will, will want to create. And they will make sense because they just make the whole system better and they make it more efficient. So, I mean, but then the issue is, I think the big issue is if something becomes a security or is a security, it's subject to all of these like huge overwhelming like compliance costs and regulatory burden and overhead and it makes things super complicated. So I think the, I mean, of course you could potentially, so if you think of the blockchain space and like what, what's actually good for humanity in terms of driving this forward, I think it's important that all of these innovations can happen. And so what does that mean? Well, either, I guess they could be considered not security you somehow exclude them and then but that doesn't really make a lot of sense because some of them clearly will be securities because they just look like securities and function like securities and so then i guess the other option would be just that maybe the regulations have to change so that you can actually create these blockchain securities without having this massive overhead and cost and inefficiencies but if we don't get this figured out, Brian, it's going to get decided by a bunch of people that are in their 80s and 90-year-olds in the Supreme Court, right? So if we as a community can't come to a consensus as to some of these things, we're probably not going to like what the regulators decide without our input. Yeah, but how do you come to consensus on something that's so generalized? Like you can create anything you want financially with smart contracts and, and these technologies. And, sure. and, and, and in the process of doing that, you can create a perfect security. You could also create something that's kind of a security and kind of not. You can, like you can create so many yeah. different types of things that one single old evaluation method won't apply to all, a more generalized concept. This is and that there's same. a huge incentive to, 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 to developing ones that are kind of in the gray zone because then you can play that lip service you were talking about, right? You can say, oh, no, no, no. This is more like building a house. You know, when you buy your house, that doesn't isn't considered a security. You're investing in it, but you're going to use it, right? That's kind of like, that's um, kind of the downfall of making something that is so generalized is that we don't have framework to deal with it because we've never had something like it in the past. Yeah. yeah, and unfortunately, it's going to take a bunch of like BitConnect type frauds before this really but, becomes a hot issue. Yeah, but I mean, I guess that that's exactly like if you ask my personal preference, you know, my personal preference would be that if like regulators or like law enforcement, they would just pursue fraud, you know, for the most part. And then, okay, like something like BitConnect, obviously fraud. You don't need any securities thing. Like there's fraud. These people should go to jail, right? And then I think there's. There's also other examples that maybe more in the gray zone a little bit, but they clearly lie constantly about, you know, things the blockchain can do and or like that was happening under the hood when it's not. Again, I think this just sounds like fraud. So I think uh, I think pursuing fraud is like uh, like gets you a, a long way to getting rid of a lot of the horrible things in blockchain and then and then I guess the only other thing that I think would be kind of reasonable is maybe having 
just have some sort of regulations that on any information that has to be shared, you know, let's say you're creating some project, you know, maybe you should like share what, how the funds are being used and stuff like that. But already that gets a little, you know, that becomes complicated, right? Because then you have to come up with specific rules and then, yeah, maybe people comply, they kind of go by it. So I'm not, I'm not sure on that front. I, I definitely feel like just fraud is already gets you so many of the egregious things in the ICO mm -hmm. boom, which is clearly frauds. And so that's, that's enough to go after them. Yeah. I guess we're still an infant in that, right, Corey? <laughs> yeah, buddy. We ought to hear from the old man guy. Where's Marcello? <laughs> I'm here. Sorry, I was uh, tending to family. Uh, do you have an opinion about uh, the securities rules and how do we tell some other something's a security or not? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Get your shit together. That's what it, you had the most. Get off my that, lawn. Get off my lawn. Yeah. That tweet you had yesterday, Cello, was like the most. What'd you say? Something like, nobody cares about your 30 year old problems. Go drink a water. Go drink, drink water. some water and relax. <laughs> I was like, oh boy. It's true, though. Um, well, uh, I think we had a caller call in but unfortunately we're wrapping up we've been going for almost an hour and a half yeah i do want to say uh brian congratulations on five years of podcasting we we've we're about to cross four years so we know what it's like back in the early days yeah well congratulations to you guys yeah. that's four Thank years you. is a uh, podcast ogs yeah. in the house we're clearly all dinosaurs here uh, we need to start like the justice league of og podcast <laughs> yeah be that and just body out every i swear as soon as somebody learns about crypto they're like you know what i can't do any of the things i'm gonna start a podcast i mean yeah. Yeah. that's what we did like <laughs> now, four years ago so <laughs> hey hey now hey now it was different all right it was, no i'm kidding but uh what are you talking about Corey? you're a blockchain blockchain developer i wasn't back then but I just feel like what like there doesn't need to be any more. Like all the all the bases are covered. If you're starting one now, just don't. We, we got it covered. <laughs> there's a there's a podcast for everyone now. Yeah. Um. Well, we say that at the same time we put a lot of pressure on Ray to start one. All the time. Every every uh, week. Ray's is more of like daily. a security driven podcast, yeah. which could be <laughs> way more so. broad than blockchain. Right. Put you on front street, Ray. The people want it, Ray. Give them what they want. So if you're interested in this argument and discussion about securities, please come to the Slack and the fight will continue there because I guess we're running out of time. But please come to the Slack and uh, discuss it more. Yeah, we're an hour and a half yeah. in. I promised Brian an hour. Uh, yeah. Let's wrap it up. So if you enjoy the show, click the like button, show your friends, join the Slack. Go to thebitcoinpodcast.com. It's a big Slack button in the nav bar. If you can't find that, you don't deserve to join the Slack. Uh, you can find us at the BTC podcast on Twitter. Uh, we do a bunch of things. We got a bunch of shows, a bunch of content every week. Come talk to us. Hit us up on Twitter. Email us. I'm Corey at thebitcoinpodcast.com. You can go to info at thebitcoinpodcast.com. We accept sponsorships. We do all kinds of things. Love you. Yeah, man. Reach out to us. Um, you, make, you make that so dry, Corey. You should. You didn't even plug the book. People are so excited to hit the stop button because they want to go on to the next podcast. No, they're not. They want to listen forever. <laughs> no, um, that's it, guys. Thank you for another week. It was awesome. Uh, join the Slack, like you said. Um, 
Oh, next week is episode 250, and nothing's planned, so it'll probably be a regular episode. Congratulations <laughs> to us. I'll be drunk. How about that? I'll just get real There we go. Do we do a drunk yeah, episode? Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank, thanks so much for having me on. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Brian. That was great. See, Brian. Shout out to Epicenter. Um, shout out to Zoe Saldana, Zazie Beats, Carla Lewis. Uh, play. Oh, by wait, the way. Wait, 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 wait. Brian, do you want to plug something? Yeah. Yeah, plug yeah, your thing. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, if you're uh, obviously if you're interested in Epicenter, you know, uh, then check out Epicenter. So it's uh, epicenter.tv. And yeah, we've been doing episodes for a long time. And then the other thing is, yeah, the main thing I've been working on, Course One. I mean, I've mentioned it a few times. Maybe you guys can put a link in the in the show notes. Um, but we'll be running validators for Loom and Cosmos, and there will be other networks in the future. So if you're interested in those networks or in staking or participating in governance and kind of like new proof of stake networks, then, you know, we'd love to love it if you stop by. I mean, you can uh, join our Telegram group, for example, course.one slash Telegram, or just go to our website and, and there's lots of information there. So, yeah, hopefully uh, stop by and say hi. We'd love to hear your questions and thoughts. All right. Well, play the outro.